Thank you for listening in today to our Friday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we'll continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Soon your trials will be over. So excited to get started with this again. I've been itching to get into chapter 16, which is about David, and we start to see the life of David. So uh, let's jump into this. Anybody need a Bible? Raise your hand. We want to put a Bible in your hand so you can follow along. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now we kind of, I want us to kind of look back a little bit here and and just kind of a quick little recap to how we got to chapter 16. And um, we need to remember that Saul, who was the the first king, uh, he was rejected um, in in Gilgal uh, because of his unlawful sacrifice in Gilgal. As a matter of fact, in 1 Samuel 13, 13, it says, And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And I'm here to tell you right now, he's still looking for that. And he's constantly looking for a man or a woman and uh, many men and women to have a heart after him. He is continually looking for that. Um, when we get to when we get introduced to um, Saul, we get to introduced by uh, uh, to Eli and Samuel. But it's right after this chapter, after Saul is disqualified in a sense, that we get introduced to Jonathan in chapter 14. Now, before all this, before we meet Jonathan in chapter 14, there's an interesting pattern that seems to be happening here. There's this pattern that the biological son does not replace his father. Instead, we see the biological son being replaced by what is we see as an adopted son. Um, Eli, the high priest, um, his sons are unfaithful. They get replaced by Samuel. Uh, Samuel also, his sons show unfaithfulness. And so now that gets replaced by Saul, um, who is to now lead the people. And so there seems to be this pattern that the biological son does not replace his father. Instead, there's a replacement there, an adopted son. So here in chapter 14, we're introduced to a guy by the name of Jonathan, who is Saul's son. Um, And so we look at him and, and we see here that no sooner do we see Jonathan as a son of Saul that we also lo- learn that he's been disinherited. He's not going to be the next king. And, and the, the bummer to that is, is the fact that Jonathan is every bit his name a gift from God. Jonathan is a godly guy. And yet because of his dad, he's not going to inherit the kingdom. And so it has nothing to do with the unfaithfulness of this son. We see Jonathan, he's very uh, bold and aggressive, full of faith in God's strength. And yet, he's not going to be the next king. He's not going to be the next king. So instead of seeing Jonathan as the next king, the replacement for Saul, we see instead, we're going to see Jonathan befriend this young man by name of David. And he's going to yield to the will of God over his right to the throne. And there's a lot of similarities between Jonathan and David, as we shall see. With Jonathan... We see he's the actual son of Saul, but later on we're going to see that David becomes the son-in-law 
to Saul. We also see with Jonathan how he leads Israel to victory over the Philistines in 1 Samuel 14. But we're also going to see David lead Israel to victory over the Philistines in 1 Samuel 17. Twice, Saul himself attacks his own son, Jonathan. We see that in chapter 14 where he says, because you partook and ate of the honey and and things like that, you're going to die and the people rescue him. Later on, we see that Saul actually casts a spear at Jonathan in chapter 20, verse 30 through 34. We also see that Saul attacks David twice by throwing a spear at him in 1 Samuel 18 and 1 Samuel 19. And we also see that Jonathan actually trusts God, not an army, in a battle that he has in 1 Samuel 14. And we also see David trust God, not an army, when he battles Goliath. And so we see these amazing similarities here. Uh, Jonathan is very much an amazing example of a godly man who resists any sort of jealousy or envy uh, in knowing that David is going to be the next king, the one that's chosen by God. And you know what? He's fine with it. He's fine with it. His calling, he sees, is to support David to become king. And instead of fearing and hating David, we're told in 1 Samuel 18 that he loves David. Instead of being jealous when he heard of David's exploits, being praised, Jonathan joins in on praising David. And so we're going to be able to glean a lot from Jonathan as we go over these next few chapters. Jonathan is a godly, godly guy. And he's just a wonderful man of God. Now, what you might not know is that there is a huge age difference between Jonathan and David, a huge age difference. According to 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 4, David became king when he was 30 years old. And according to the book of Acts chapter 13, Saul reigned for 40 years. Thus, David was born in the 10th year of Saul's reign, if that's the case. And yet Jonathan was already fighting in the third year of Saul's reign in the battle of Michmash. Because it says in 1 Samuel 13, verse 1, Saul reigned one year. When he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel, 2,000 were with Saul and Michmash in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. So, if Jonathan was 20, and I would Submit to you, he was probably older than that. But let's just say, for argument's sake, he was 20. That would make him 27 years older than David. Jonathan could have been his father. Jonathan could have been his father. And so, I just wanted you to kind of get the background of that as we jump into here in chapter 16. As we left off a few weeks ago, probably more like a month ago, um, God and Samuel were mourning over the unfaithfulness of Saul. It says in 1 Samuel 15, 35, And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. That's an interesting word that God himself regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. In verse 11 of chapter 15, it says, I greatly regret, you know. And so people like to, to point that out and try and uh, maybe show that um, God is learning uh, it's called the openness of God and things like that. And he doesn't really know everything that's going on. And, and, uh, and some will even go as far as that even he makes mistakes and he regretted even making Saul king. And that's not true. It's not true at all. 
This is the reason why he uses these words is, is known as anthropomorphism. And that's God explaining himself to man in using human terms. So man can have a better understanding of what's going on in God's heart and how he feels about things. God obviously knew uh, from the beginning of Saul's heart. He knew Saul's ways. He knew, knows his destiny. Um, as a matter of fact, we already read, he was seeking a man after his own heart, even before he had mentioned this. And so what is being said here is that God's not emotionless, okay? Uh, he feels things as well. It's not as though he's sitting in, a, in heaven with a clipboard just checking up boxes, okay, waiting for Saul to fail here and here. Okay, on to the next guy, David, okay? It still grieves him. Saul's disobedience still hurt God. And since we couldn't understand what was really happening in God's heart, the closest that we can come is for God to express it in human terms, saying, I greatly regret that I've set up Saul as king. It's really to show how much Saul blew blew it. If God is going to regret about something about you, that just shows how badly you have blown it and how far away from God you've actually walked. Our unfaithfulness grieves God. Our unfaithfulness hurts God. In my devotion this week, I'm in Ezekiel, and I came upon this verse in Ezekiel chapter 6. God's explaining through Ezekiel why Israel is going to be scattered among the nations. And he says, they're going to be scattered among the nations because I was crushed by their adulterous heart, which has departed from me. Can you imagine that? They crushed his heart. It speaks of the hurt that he feels because of all the things he has done and all the privileges he's given them in knowing who he is and, and giving them the, uh, um, the law and, and being there and doing all these miracles before him and, and trying to invite them into this relationship that they can have with the living God. And yet they continually to rebel and they departed from him and it crushed him. The Bible says it crushed him. God was crushed by their adulterous heart. Our unfaithfulness, when we depart from God and his ways, it crushes him as well. And we do that when we go, over, go after the things of the world compared to the things that he tells us to do. That crushes him. It hurts God. And so God and is only going to mourn over Samuel for a time. And when it's time to move forward, it's time to move forward. And so Saul has been mourning as well. And so here in 1 Samuel 16, verse 1, it says, And now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. So he just told him, You're going to find the next king? Son of Jesse. It's going to be a son of Jesse. So it's time to anoint the new king, a faithful king, a king after God's own heart. Get up, Saul. Stop mourning. It's now we have to look forward. We got to go towards the future now. Fill your horn. I'm sending you to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem. And so this new king of Israel is going to be found among his sons, the sons of Jesse, which, by the way, Jesse was the grandson of Ruth and Boaz. And so here in verse 2, it says, And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one I name to you. Now, 
Is God telling Samuel to lie? He's not. Because this is true. Samuel did offer a sacrifice. And he couldn't really do the work that was required to him by God unless he offered this sacrifice. And so, yes, it gave him an excuse to go, but he would have had to have done this anyway if he was going to anoint the next king of Israel. And so he calls the elders of the people together and this collection of Jesse's sons. And it says in verse 4, So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? Now, why do you think they're trembling at his coming? You remember what happened at the end of chapter 15? You remember chapter 15? How Saul was called to kill the Amalekites? You know? He was supposed to uh, kill all of them, and he doesn't do that. And so because he doesn't do that, he brings back the king of the Amalekites, Agag. And he says, and, and instead of going and killing all of them and, and killing all their animals and things like that, they bring back the best of the sheep and the cattle. And so um, Sam goes to him, what did you do? I've, I've accomplished the will of God. I've done exactly what he said to do. No, no, you haven't. I hear the bleeding of the sheep. I hear the, the, the brain out there of donkeys. I hear the mooing of the cattle. I hear all this stuff. Well, the people did that. We thought it was best to bring back the best to worship to your God. You fool. You're proving right now you do not have a heart after God. That you will usurp what God says and do what you think is best. That's not a man or a woman after God's own heart. And he tells him, he says, the kingdom's been torn from you this day. And so he brings Agag, the the king of the Amalekites, and he hacks him to pieces right there. Now, for whatever reason, that probably got out that Saul was, uh, or Samuel was pretty upset about the whole thing. He comes walking into Bethlehem, and the elders want to know, have you come peaceably? (laughs) I mean, I still don't get it to a degree, just because it's kind of like, dude, he hacked up, you know, an enemy king. Are you his enemy? What are you worried about? I don't know. We heard he's really moody. I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking. But he says, no, I come peaceably. And so... I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, when an animal is sacrificed to atone for sins, the whole animal is offered to the Lord and burnt up to the Lord, and there's nothing left over for you to feast upon. But when an animal is sacrificed as a peace offering, a fellowship offering, or a consecration offering, which this is, then part of the animal is burnt before the Lord, part of it is eaten in special ceremonial meal. And so this is what um, this feast was about here. So the elders and Jesse and his sons were there, and they participated in this meal. Um, And so the idea was not for Jesse and his sons just to watch. They're going to participate. They're part of this meal. And we're going to see here that during this meal, but David's not there. David's not there for that meal. It kind of shows how Jesse and the rest of his family kind of viewed David. He's not worthy to be at this feast. He's not worthy that the high priest has come in and and is going to consecrate you know, uh, this animal, there's going to be a feast. David's not invited. And then later on, when they find out he's actually there to anoint a king, they don't invite David to that either. So it gives you a, a little bit of an understanding of how they view David. He's just this little pipsqueak, you know, he's still young, he's out there 
uh, you know, just watching the sheep, and uh, he doesn't need to be at this. And so it says in, in verse 6, it says, And it, so it was when they came that he looked at uh, Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at the appearance or at his physical stature, because I refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Actually, it's Eliab. And so they look at Eliab. Eliab looks like a perfect specimen of a king. But it's kind of like, Samuel, don't fall for that again. We already gave you a guy named Saul who is head and shoulders above everybody else. A very good-looking guy. A guy that you think is full of confidence. Certainly, this is a guy to lead you. And he looks at Eliab and he says, kind of feels the same way. He goes, certainly this is the guy right here, of course. And the Lord just tells him, don't look at the outward. Don't look at the outward appearance or his physical stature because I refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. The man, the, that for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I love that. And yet we quite often as, as people who are looking for uh, someone to lead the Lord's people or, or a minister or something like that, we sometimes still look for the most talented person, the most eloquent of speakers to be able to teach and lead people in ministry. And yet that's not what we should be looking for. We should be looking for somebody who has a heart after God. Because you have a heart after God, you're really going to have a heart after God's people. Oh, they may be good at what they do. They may be very, very talented. But what is going to be revealed probably sooner rather than later is that they're really a Saul. Alan Redpath says this. Sometimes we covet attractive and talented people for the Lord's work. But they turn out to be heartaches because they are not among God's chosen. The basis of God's choice is contrary to all this. When he would build a man of God, he looks for a different timber. I love that. We think this is the best timber right there, and God's saying, no. This is, the, this is the makeup of the man that I want. This is the makeup of the woman that I want. And he looks differently than we look for. We look at the outward, he looks at the heart. It's kind of like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that he has chosen the foolish things of the world uh, to confound the wise, the weak things of the world to confound those things which are mighty. And why does he do this? So no flesh can glory in his presence. That's why. So you'll know that's the Lord. That's the Lord. And he will get all the glory. God is looking for a heart that loves him and loves his people. And God will use that heart to lead his people. And so Jesse calls Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And yet Samuel was sent by God, saying, It's going to be one of the sons of Jesse. And Samuel says to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Notice he's beginning to clue into something here. Hmm, here's all your sons And yet God said no to all of them. Yet God said, I'm supposed to choose one of your sons. This tells me, are all your sons here? And then he says, well, there remains yet the youngest. As in to say, certainly it can't be him, you know. And there he is, keeping the sheep. Again, kind of in a degrading manner. He's the youngest and he keeps the sheep. Look, like right there, come on. And he says, 
Samuel says to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in, and now he was ruddy with bright eyes, bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise and anoint him, for this is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Now a couple things here. What do you think was going through David's mind? What do you you think he was thinking? He comes in. He probably doesn't even need to be introduced to Samuel. He probably comes in and goes, whoa, that's Samuel. That's the high priest. Wow. I wonder what his brothers were thinking. Were they excited for David? Were they jealous and angry? I would submit to you that they were the latter there. We will see that more when, when David comes to fight Goliath. They kind of despise him, thinking that he just wants to see the action and you know, things like that. You could just feel the disdain in his brother's voices. And so it's kind of like, then Samuel says, David, I need for you to kneel right now. What? Kneels, pulls out the horn of oil, pours it upon his head. David would have known what that meant. Why am I being anointed? They do this with kings and prophets. No doubt Samuel probably prayed over him, maybe even prophesied over him. The text doesn't tell us. But he did that with Saul when he anointed him. I would think that he would probably have done the same thing with David. What was going on here? What, what is going through David's mind? I'm the least of all my father's sons. I'm out being a shepherd. This is not where kings come from. But God tells us something different. He's saying, yep, and this is what makes a king, someone who has a heart after mine. Never underestimate what God can do through a vessel that surrenders to him and truly loves him. David was able to spend a long, long time contemplating, meditating on the things of God because to be quite honest, there's not a whole lot to do when you're looking after sheep. They kind of sit there and kind of get into trouble. They'll wander off, but then when you kind of get them collected, they're, they're content and they're actually eating the, the grass or the pasture you have them in. You're just kind of hanging out. And we're told from the Psalms that David did a lot of thinking. And he did a lot of thinking and meditating on the things of God. I want you to go to Psalm 19. He's out there watching sheep. David meditates on the Lord. It's the reason why he's able to write Psalm 19 is because of all those evenings that he's been out at night watching the sheep. In Psalm 19, he contemplates the greatness of God, the creator of the universe that spoke of his awesome power. David thought and meditates on this, and it says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Somewhere along the line, as he's looking up, he realizes there's a creator. How anybody cannot understand that there's a creator, that there's a master designer out there. David's gone, I understand it, and I'm just a little sheep herder. It amazes me what sometimes someone who is very, very young could understand at a very young age and that you could be talking to somebody who's a PhD and they don't get it. It's one of the reasons why quite often I refer to PhD as piled high and deep because the lacking of common sense, of understanding that is so plain for everybody to see. Here, David, the shepherd, is able to look up into the heavens and go, the heavens declare the glory of God. The ferment shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. And you know what it utters? I am is what it utters. And night unto night reveals knowledge. You can see how powerful he is. You can see how organized he is. You can see all sorts of things about God when you just stare up into the heavens. 
look at the star. Notice how the sun comes up every day, and moon, and, and all that. You, you can learn a lot. That wraps up this Friday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Join us again on Monday as we continue our study in 1 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings, On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God.